0: On some level, we all know that health extends beyond the physical, and to feel well, we need more than pills and a diagnosis. Industrialized medicine is often unable to reach the roots beneath disease and empower us to create our own sense of health and well-being.
1: This is Dr. Domas and the Wounded Healer. My name is Ashley Palmer. And I'm Samuel Simonson. The system is useful for some things, but frankly, it is overrun with bullshit. The intention of this podcast is to explore other ways to approach life, health, and society at a time when change is inevitable and everywhere.
0: We may be dreamers,
1: but the, the status, status quo sounds like, like a status, status no, man.
0: This week we talked to Chitan Parkin.
1: Here's his bio. An entrepreneur's son by upbringing and an engineer by training, Chitan has fully explored both the mystical and technological worlds. He's been a safari leader, a deep-sea dive engineer, and a devoted student of meditation. Travels in India and time spent in the company of the enlightened mystic Osho finally introduced Chan to his own purpose, helping people develop self-knowledge.
0: Prepare your ears for a mind-bending mixture of silence and sound with Chitan Parkin.
2: There's all kinds of ways to drive oneself crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I imagine a lot of people who listen to this will have never heard of human design before, or if they have heard of human design, they might not understand what it is. So, yeah, my first question is, what is human design and why is it important?
2: Okay. Do you want me to talk? Yeah. If you are. (laughs) If you'd like to. (laughs) Okay. So we're actually recording now already? Yeah. All right. Great. Great. Well, great pleasure to be here. And, um, yeah, what is human design? I've been trying to work out the answer to that for 30 years. That's as long as I've been involved with human design. There are many ways of describing it. It's a 21st century self-remembering device. It's something that delivers your karma chart. And if you understand your karma chart, you basically can resolve anything in this lifetime. It's a composition of ancient wisdom traditions tied in with a couple of modern day sciences that renders a means of being able to read people's genetic makeup. And it's unique, you know, there's nothing else quite like it. Not only can we reveal the genetics that propel us forward consciously in this lifetime, but we can also recognize all the genetic traits that we pick up from our family tree from our ancestry, and all of that. So it gives a really, really complete picture of who we are and basically how to get the best out of life. You know, if you can if you can live absolutely in, true, in tune with your own life, regardless of all the chaos that's going on around us, then, you know, you really accomplish something amazing. There are very, very few people that actually arrive at that space. Because uh, right from the moment we arrive on this planet, you know, we're encouraged to follow the family traditions, you know, join a religion if that's part of the household, go to school, do what everyone else has been struggling with forever, you know, borrow everybody else's knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, human design just breaks that whole pattern. It just says, look, this is, here's your deal. This is it. This is you, this lifetime. I've been reading for people. um, Goodness, I started in 1979 when I was actually told about human design before it even existed. And um, I was always confronted by people, you know, what's my purpose here? What am I doing here? And, you know, you can read in various ways, oh, well, you've got this gift, this talent, you know, you've got this way of doing stuff. And it became really obvious to me at one stage what we're here for. We're here to be ourselves. That's it. We're not here to be a carbon copy of somebody else. We're not here to follow somebody else's religion or political, whatever. We're here to be ourself. Whatever that involves, unique expression of consciousness in human form. That is our gift of being here on this planet. And yet we've been encouraged to do anything else. Nobody has ever been encouraged to be themselves. Why don't you fit in? Why don't you do like everybody else? Why can't you behave yourself properly? Why can't you be a good boy or a good girl or whatever? It's like, what? <laughs> so human design breaks or has the opportunity to break all these patterns, these habits, these unconscious traits that have been delivered to us. So for me, it's a kind of magical system. And uh, I know you actually have been quite involved in it. So you have your own intelligence with it all. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a 21st century self-remembering device.
0: That's fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how, like, what are
2: the origins of it? Like, how did it come to be? <laughs> <laughs> what are the origins of it? Well, it's an interesting question, that one, because, uh, yeah, it's not from this universe in simple terms. Mm-hmm. It just works here. And... I mean, it sounds ludicrous to say such a thing. I mean, are there other universes? Yes, actually, there are. There's all kinds of universes. And um, the knowledge floats around. You look at these ancient wisdom traditions like astrology and the I Ching and and the Kabbalah. Where where do these things come from? You know, did somebody just all of a sudden just start writing them down on a piece of paper or something? No, all these things are floating around all over the place. There There are... knowledge that's available and um, human design when it came into being on this planet arrived in 1987 there was this fellow fellow canadian robert alan krakowa i believe he lived in toronto
1: montreal and, um,
2: montreal there you go kind of slightly more french side to yeah. it Mm -hmm. Close enough. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, he was a newspaper advertising salesman. And he used to, that was it. That was his business. He'd call up people, get them to buy pages in the newspaper. And he was so good at it that he would have a joke that he could sell more pages of advertising than the paper actually had pages. Like he was good at that stuff, Mm -hmm. convincing people. He also started doing a pre-runner to MTV, or taking videos of rock groups and stuff like that. But something happened in his life and he just got fed up with the whole thing. And the story is he left Canada, arrived in Europe, obviously he'd left with his passport and everything, and he started traveling around in Europe and ended up on the island of Ibiza in the Mediterranean. Mm. And while there, he had a, an experience. He was living in a what he called a ruina, which was a little cottage that had been abandoned. And Ibiza, generally speaking, is a pretty dry island. You know, it's, it's kind of Mediterranean. And the cottage had been abandoned because underneath it, there had been a cistern. And the cistern had cracked. And all the water had gone out of it. So you couldn't really do a gardening scene or farming scene or agricultural thing there. So it had been abandoned. And he took over that little cottage. And um, the story goes, and I've heard this from him a few times, he came back one evening from visiting a friend. He was with his dog. And there's a light on in the cottage. Well, he knows perfectly well there's no electric there and there's no oil for the lamp. So what's the light doing? Mm -hmm. So he approaches the cottage and um, the dog starts growling and goes up to the threshold to go in the front door and collapses and remains supine for the next eight days and nights. So Ra somehow feels himself being pushed into Robert Allen. He became Ra. He didn't know whether he was Robert or Allen, but he became Ra. He got found himself being propelled into the cottage and found himself, pushed the dog underneath the table and found himself standing there, and all the sweat was pouring out of him. Like all the old memory banks or whatever it is that goes with salt in our bodies was being released and he finds himself standing in a pool of sweat in the middle of the room. And while this is all happening, he hears a voice. He describes it as a voice. It's like a sound goes off in his head and says, are you ready to work now? And apparently he wasn't expected to reply. In the next eight days and nights, he was given downloads of all kinds that relate to this universe. The first three days and nights was human design. The rest of the time was other things. He was told, all, I guess, all the secrets of the universe or whatever. And he didn't really divulge much about that latter part, but he did get involved in the human design part of it. Apparently, along the way, he met several other people who had been exposed to that same download. They had tried putting it together. They had tried making sense out of the knowledge, but they they couldn't do it. And a couple of them went completely off the rails, they went nuts.
0: Hmm.
2: So somehow or other, he had the design or the ability to be able to download it, withhold it. But he wasn't given an instruction book, he was just given all this knowledge. And, you know, he started off with basic things, the, the, the four ancient wisdom traditions, are astrology, the I Ching, the Kabbalah, and the chakra system. And he started putting together what he understood he, was, he had been told. And uh, slowly, slowly, the system started to take a very vague shape. The two other more modern day sciences are an understanding of neutrino physics and also an understanding of the human genetic code. So the neutrino physics part was just pure theory in 1987. Nobody had actually proven that neutrinos existed. They were just a theory. And it was a funny thing, you know, in those early years, for so the first 10 years, the whole thing's based on somebody, nothing, nothing's ever been able to prove. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was working with this thing, and it's like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? And he started practicing with people living on a beat putting together charts for them, quite a job, you know, drawing them all out by hand and stuff. And um, people were fascinated. And it came about one day that um, this group of girls comes up from the village and they've got flowers and fruit and they're sitting outside his cottage. It's in the morning, Ra hasn't got up yet. And um, they want to come for readings. They want to come and give him flowers and fruit and, you know, celebrate with him or whatever. And he gets up, obviously in a bad mood, and he comes out of the house. And he comes out to have a pee, but he pees all over the girls and the the fruit and everything, rather than, you know. And he yells at them and says, look, anyone that's ever had a chart or any reading with me, I want them to bring that material back. Give it back to me. And sure enough, everybody did, except one person. And he stuffed all the notes that he'd got during the download, the eight days and nights, stuffed the whole lot in his guitar, which was the one thing he really loved, and he set fire to burn the whole thing. Took off into the hills for a year. Like literally had no idea what to do with him, with the information or anything else. He did not see himself as a guru and didn't want to be accepted as such. After a year of living like a wild man in his own words, he comes back and he starts putting the thing back together again that he sees you know that he has a responsibility because he actually got the download and he could actually put it together in some way so one thing led to another he went to Germany to try and get a book published Um, the publisher took all his money didn't do anything Um, the publisher had an assistant a man called Jürgen Saup, who recognized He was an astrologer himself, and he recognized the quality of this material. And he helped Ra publish a book, which was called The Black Book in the early days. And it was mostly physics, trying to explain neutrinos and all that. It's fascinating stuff. Um, And uh, they started doing a tour around Germany, driving around. It was east and west then. And um, they went all over the place, driving around. And doing talks, putting up little posters, you know, it was pre-internet, they'd put up posters and say, you know, we're going to give a talk on this new system tonight. And very rarely anyone showed up. And then there's this one night he puts up a poster somewhere and he goes to sleep behind the, the screen. He's going to do a projection of a few slides of what the thing's about. And he goes to sleep behind the screen and he wakes up to the sound of voices, comes around behind the screen and the whole room is jammed with people. And he said that was the moment it all started. People started recognizing something amazing that he'd got. He came to America in 1993, and he was being hosted by an old girlfriend of mine and her new husband, Zeno and Chaitanya. They were living in Taos, in New Mexico. And um, Zeno, my old friend, sent me my chart. And I take one look at the chart and i recognized right away i'd been told about this system in 1979 when i was living in india i'd had a reading with somebody that had gone all the way through my past lives present life future life whatever and he would said you're going to be working with this new system you're going to write books about it you're going to introduce it to the whole world and since that's 1979 i had been reading for people hands cards astrology auras tea leaves the whole business anything any way i could talk to somebody and tell them what I saw about what was going on in their life. And when this chart showed up in my life, I knew right away, this is this is my work now. So <laughs> 1993 to now, that's pretty much what I've been doing, is human design. Um, there are three books so far. There's a whole bunch of other books that are happening. Um, I get to teach all over the world. That's my great privilege. I meet all kinds of amazing people. And I've just watched, you know, since that first book came out, all of a sudden human design has gone everywhere. So some of the audience may not have heard about it, but I would just say sooner or later, you're going to hear about it. And sooner or later, it's a bit like a virus in a way, you know, you hear about it, and something catches you. And it's like, "Hmm, I got to find out what this stuff's all about. So Ra, he passed away a few years ago, but he did some amazing work, you know, he was very nervous about it all to start with. neutrinos were actually proven to exist. In their very particular form that had been predicted in 1997, there were experiments in Canada and in Japan, and neutrinos were proven to exist. And uh, they're basically the particle, the massive or the tiny, tiny mass particle that is the messenger of the universe. They travel all over the place. They get emitted by stars. They fly around everywhere. They come into our solar system. So they bring a particular flavor of the star field and then they pass through our solar system, maybe pass through one of the planets, and then they pass into us. And when they pass into us or go out the other side, anyhow, they trigger a genetic codon within us. So that genetic codon has, if you like, the music of that star field, that planet, and it logs in us, and it gives us a very particular frequency. And that frequency we then can transpose and see, well, all right, this is part of our genetic coding, this frequency. So life, in a sense, is all about frequency. You'll never meet anyone with the same frequency that you've got, and that's the beauty of human design. There are no duplicates in the whole universe. It's just, this is your movie, you know, your frequency. And the more we can be in tune with our frequency, that's it, then you're in tune. The universe loves it when people get in tune. You know, We have these people called enlightened beings. Yeah, guess what? They're in tune. goodness knows how they got to that place but you know they found how to be in tune with their own life and that was what came about
0: how does one I guess start the process of getting in tune
2: how do you start
0: Uh, I would thoroughly
2: recommend people to have a reading of human design it'll blow your mind I mean, the the thing of it is, there's a lot of it that's going to be really familiar to you. Oh, I always knew this about myself, but was never really encouraged to live it out. And that's really the beginning of it, is to see, yeah, I've got this unique frequency, this unique way of doing things. And um, the more I accord to it, which will become very apparent in a reading. And, um, yeah, it's a kind of great way to start getting in tune with your own life. I mean, all of us know how amazingly distracted we've been you know this was even before the internet showed up this was before selfies showed up before you know facebook and all this stuff showed up that we were so distracted television i mean we were told everybody else's life story the hollywood thing or whatever so there's massive layers of stuff that somehow we have to kind of filter our way through but the human design chart and a reading, a really good reading will clarify these things like nothing else can. And like I said, it tells you your whole conscious journey in this lifetime. And it tells you everything that you're carrying with you from your family, genetically. So we don't have any particular choice about the family thing, because here we are, you know, we arrived in a particular family, whether it suited us well or not. You know, we got all whatever it was that happened in that circumstance, and then we start growing, we start expanding and living our own life more and more. So, yeah, I would really recommend um, people having reading. There is also, on our website, we produce reports for people. Um, It's very simple. You just put in your name, date, and time of birth and place of birth, and we render a human design report for you. And that's a great way to start as well. If you think, well, what's this guy Chaitan talking about? You know, is this really, is there really anything to this? And just go on our website and get a free report, evolutionaryhumandesign.com. And uh, you can get, download a free report. I guarantee it'll surprise you what you read there because it'll just, you'll see it resonates. Interesting. (laughs)
1: Can human design help people avoid getting burnt out? How oh, God, yes.
2: There's the funniest thing, actually, isn't it? I mean, here we are. We're human beings, but we behave like human doings. And we get chased all over the place trying to make things happen and get a job and get a life and make money and all this stuff. And, yeah, we end up getting burned out. We get thoroughly fried. And it basically means we're chasing after somebody else's goals, in a way. If we're living true to ourselves. Obviously, one pays attention to on bodies asking one to do, you know, time for a tea break, you know, time to have a vacation, you know, time to put the phone down somewhere and forget about it for a bit. So, yeah, it does. It's that whole thing of being in tune with one's own life. That's the bottom line with it all. And life wants us to succeed. There's this huge misunderstanding that I guarantee has been put about forever. You know, that life is something that happens to us. You know, we're all, oh, goodness knows, what's going to happen next, you know? Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, life is something that happens for us. And the moment we make that shift and we see that every single thing that crosses my path has a potential to uplift my life, to bring me a sense of fulfillment. Everything. The moment we get into that space, everything changes.
0: yeah I, I want to go back to India. You said you knew knew this chart or before you even had encountered human design, there was something that happened yeah. there.
2: Yeah. I, um, you know, I grew up in England and I trained as a mechanical engineer and one thing, I travel all over doing that engineering, but one thing led to another and when my father passed away i got this really clear message from him you know time to do something different Mm. and i found myself driving a bus to india it was a thing called a magic bus (laughs) these magic buses used to go all over europe at the time but there was one that used to go to india it was sixty dollars one way (laughs) a 43-seater bus and uh, i found myself driving this thing and it was pre-internet, so we'd go around all the cafes in Europe, you know, and there would be a little poster on the board saying, bus coming at such and such a time to India, you know, get ready. So it was funny, you know, some people actually had luggage with them, others, oh, you're going to India? You know, I'm jumping on board, i got everything I need. So it was hilarious in a way, and just, you know, madness going down through Europe and then into Turkey and through Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan to India. And, um, that very first trip I was on, half the people were going to visit with Osho. They were his sannyasins. They were his people, and um, I knew nothing about gurus. I was—I <laughs> don't want a guru. Thank you very much. Uh, he was called Rajneesh at the time, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and my travels took me around India a little bit, and I kept running into these guys, you know. And I'd see you were on the bus. It's like you—you you look different. What happened to you? I said, oh, I've been at the ashram for a while, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's very transformational. So one thing led to another. I find my way to the ashram and um, join the community there, become a sannyasin in Osho's community. There are thousands of people there from all over the world, every nationality, you know, and they're all seekers. They're mostly hippies, but seekers. And we're all running around in orange robes and with malas and stuff like that and Osho would come out and discourse every day and and this is, he'd come out with one or two questions or somebody would read a sutra to him and he'd describe what the sutra meant. He'd talk for 90 minutes at a time or two hours and we'd all be sitting there listening, spellbound. Absolutely incredible, the things he would comment on and just clearing all kinds of misconceptions about life. He'd talked about all the Buddhas and all the you know, the holy men, the Rumis, and the Hafizes and the Jesuses, and the Muhammads. He'd talk about all these people, and all the work that they did, and what they were trying to imply. And he said all the time, I'm just talking about meditation. But, you know, if you've got questions, ask me the questions. Well, in those days, I was completely shy. I wouldn't ask anybody anything. It's like, don't mind me, I'm not here. You know? <laughs> but he'd say, you know, if you really want to find out about yourself, and you've got questions, as a man that lives in bombay now mumbai you can go and visit with him and he'll tell you everything and you'll never need to ask me another question so <laughs> i get the train down to bombay i get the taxi you know and the taxi has no idea where we're going i've got a piece of paper with an address on it but he's no idea we're going round and round and round in circles and then all of a sudden i see the building it's got a quite clear sign on it the building i'm looking for where this guy lives and I jump out of the taxi and I'm jumping across the walls and the fences and through people's gardens and stuff and race up to his door. <laughs> Bang on the door. And he comes out and says, oh, great. You're here. I was expecting you. <laughs> <like>, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm breathless. And the taxi driver, you know, abandoned his taxi and comes for his fare. So we work that all out. And I'm, you know, anyway. The guy says, it's great that you arrived at this time, because if you'd come a little bit later, I wouldn't be able to read for you. I have to read for you before noon. And um, okay, great. So then he he gets his son involved and his son has got this long stick with colors on it. (laughs) I've no idea what this thing is, but I'm standing there still panting a little bit from having jumped across everything. And he he gets me to take my shoes off. I stand barefoot on the pavement, and then he takes a measurement from my heel to measure my shadow. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it was my shoulder, the top of my head, my aura, whatever it was. But anyway, that's what he does. We go upstairs. He delivers whatever he's found on that stick to his dad. You know, this was what I saw. He asked me for my date, time, and place of birth. He does astrology for that. He asks for my full name, he does numerology from that. So he's got three different vantage points triangulation. You can find now what he's looking for. Behind his desk, he's got hundreds of books. They've all got black bindings on them. They look identical to me hundreds of them. But he goes to a shelf, pulls out a book, brings it back to the table, opens it to a page, and it's my page. That's and he starts reading. Unbelievable. It. <laughs> Thousand lifetimes ago, this hundred lifetimes ago, that last week, this week, next week, when you get enlightened, when you die, things you do in your life, you know, people you meet, parents' names, all this kind of stuff is pulling off this page that was written down somewhere between two and a half and three thousand years ago. This is India. This is different, you know. But here it was. I'm sitting there. It's like oh, I think I'm 27, 28 years old at the time. It's like oh yeah. yeah. How does he know to tell me this stuff? I mean, how can he possibly comment on a thousand lifetimes ago? And yet, you know, when something just chimes with you and it just rings a bell for you, it's like, yeah, I cannot deny it. This is exactly my sensation of my whole progression here on planet Earth. So, you know, my mind is totally blown. I'm sitting there, you know, and he shuts the book. He gives me a big smile and says, I want you to come and work with me because you know how to do this work. I was so completely blown away, I had no idea what to say. I didn't know anything about human design. I didn't know anything about my emotional authority. I didn't know to pause, take a deep breath before making some kind of a decision. I just went racing off into my head. And, uh, no, I can't work with you. Sorry, I've already committed to something else. I'm going to go and live in the ashram for a while. He cracks up laughing. He is laughing like I've told him a really good joke. He's rocking around in his chair. He's like, what did I do? What did I say? You know, when he finishes laughing, he says, it doesn't matter because you're going to do this work anyhow. You know, you could come and work with me. You could come and work with the system. You know, you've probably been involved with it before. It's got your signature on it somewhere or other. You know, you know what this stuff is. I had no idea. I was so fast asleep in those days, I had no idea what he was talking about. But he said it doesn't matter, you're going to do this work anyhow. And my recommendation for you is you start learning again how to read for people. You find a system you can work with, and you start practicing reading for people, telling people what you see in them. I started with hands, I read faces, I read cards, I read tea leaves, the whole business, whatever showed up. And I practice all these different ways and found out what it was was okay to say to somebody and what it is you do not say to somebody. And then how to say it, how to embrace them on a level in which they can really understand what's being said. Like it's a huge responsibility.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And um, he said, you know, learn a system, get used to reading for people because there's a new system that's going to come into your life. You're going to write books about it. You're going to introduce it all over the world and it's going to change people's lives forever. Well, you might imagine, I went out of there feeling a bit peculiar, you know, what just (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing was, you know, a week later I'm sitting in the ashram and this man comes in and his wife is delivering things to the ashram. And while he's sitting there waiting, he insists on reading my hands. And I'm sitting there, you know, and he's reading all these things and he's repeating a lot of the same things the man in Mumbai had said. And it's like, how is this possible? Because he was apparently really good at this. And uh, he gets to a point where he says, "I I need to show you how to do this. So for 10 minutes, he goes through all the lines and the swirls and the markings and the fingers and everything on both hands. And then he folds my hands up and says, that's enough. Now practice. Really? I'm still this shy guy. I'm not going to talk to anybody about anything. But i go back to where i'm staying that night this funky little hotel on the other side of the river and um i'm sitting there having dinner it's an outdoor i mean, restaurants rather a grand title but we're sitting outside having our dinner there's other people at other tables and stuff and we're just about wrapping up dinner and i say you know the weirdest thing happened to me that today this guy showed me how to read hands <laughs> i'm not kidding within 10 seconds the whole table is covered with people's hands Everybody at the other tables, the waiter, everybody comes over and puts their hands down on the table. And I start telling them what I see in their hands. And apparently it works. Apparently I got the knack. Apparently I can see stuff. And they're all saying, wow, it's amazing. I never heard that about me before, but I recognize it. And that's where it all started, 1979. And then as I say, 1993, human design came into my life, and that's been it ever since. So I've been back to India several times since... Um, to me, well, what to say, you know, consciousness exists on many, many levels on this planet. Tibet used to be able to hold the energy. That all got messed up. China had a large part of it, and that all got messed up. Japan, they're kind of losing interest because their population's declining. You know, holding consciousness, holding, you know, ways of life that expand consciousness. India's still got it but it's very rapidly becoming McDonaldized. So I would just say to anyone, for goodness sake, you know, you've got a bit of money in your pocket, go to India, (laughs) go and have a time around, you know, go and visit the ashram where I was living. They still do amazing meditation courses and stuff. But India, it is the cradle of, of consciousness still. But what to say, you know, it's a, there are some places they've survived thousands of years. You know, some of these temples they're five thousand more years old. Nobody knows who built them. Nobody knows what the whole schematic of it was. But they hold energy. They hold consciousness. They hold triggers for people. So, yeah, India itself it's massively overpopulated now. But it's uh... my experience of arriving in India. You know, you arrive in the airport somewhere and. Um, you probably come down through a layer of smog and fog and chemical outlet and stink, you know, and it's like you're wondering, oh my God, where am I coming to? Yeah. You know, But you you get it, somebody opens the door of the plane and all of a sudden it's like there's a noise, like there's people yelling and carrying on and then there's the whole business of going through the airport and getting a taxi or getting a hotel or whatever you do. But the moment that door opens, your heart opens as well. That's the energy of India, is the heart. And um, it's very different. Not everybody can get it. Not everybody can take it because we've been so told to kind of live our life from our head. But <laughs> you meet anyone there, you know, and it, it's like there will be this kind of natural heart connection. And the kids, you know, the kids in India, you know, we think we've done well with our Bible studies and stuff like that. They know everything. They know all the gods and all the temples and all the, you know. <laughs> they've drawn it in with mother's milk. So yeah, it's to me it's a wonderful place to visit. Wonderful place because it just reminds us, you know, there's more going on in this world than just our J-O-B and our, you know, birth marriages and death business. They still hold consciousness. And it's a great adventure. So you asked me about India, and I was a little carried away with it all, but I love the place. Oh, no, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah, I love India. I went there, like, I don't know, a few years ago for a couple months, and it was fantastic. And, yeah, people were so hospitable and friendly, and it was amazing. Yeah. So – what was what was it like? Because um, you lived around Osho for a while, right? What yeah, was eleven years. Yeah, what was that like over over the eleven years? We talked about it a bit, but
0: yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was too short. <laughs> <laughs> too short. I read some of his stuff. I remember finding it mind blowing. So I imagine to live with him would have been incredible
2: you know here here's this man that's born in very rural circumstances in india middle of nowhere middle of the countryside and um he just happens to come in with an enormous intelligence he grows up the first seven years he lives with his grandparents in the country and so he didn't have that kind of pressure from parents you know you've got to do this got to do that by the time he arrived at seven years old and went to live with his parents He'd already kind of worked out, you know, I don't need to follow everybody else's ideas of life. He ended up going to university and would not go to the classes. He would go to the library and read books and learn that way. And um, he was a projector by design. And I I love this thing. He said that he's the lazy man's guide to enlightenment. When he lived in university, he had a room. and. You know how you have a room and you put your clothes one place and things other places. He put his bed diagonally across the doorway. So, you know, you could jump on the bed, but that was it. The rest of the room was not interesting. And he put all his books underneath the bed and that was it. That was his whole living environment. Just forget about the room. He would just be in that space. And he was somebody that could go to the final exams and you know, all the complicated questions and stuff about philosophy or whatever, theology. And he's somebody that literally could answer the questions and walk out of there in 20 minutes, ace the questions, you know, mm-hmm. nail them. So he started realizing he had this brilliant mind, and he started expanding the mind, he'd read everything. And uh, he ended up being the most widely read man of all time. He... he produced more books than anybody else in his lifetime and he read more books than anybody else could possibly manage i used to work in his library um, and uh yeah some of those books <laughs> and everyone would ask him why are you reading all these books he said well i've got to have something to talk about you know i discourse every day and i've got to have subject matter and, you know bits and pieces of information and he literally covered everything He talked about everything that could be talked about but he said the talking is all very good and i'm pretty much laying out the plan of what the Aquarian age is all about, you know, the next 2,000 years for humanity. But he said, my whole message is meditation. I'm trying to guide you into meditation. So as much as you are fascinated to listen to what I'm saying, also listen to the gaps between the words. Listen to the notes between the music. And... There was literally that, you know, he'd be talking about something. And it's like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, incredible. Ooh. And then he'd stop in the middle of a sentence. And it's like you're right on the edge there and wondering what could possibly come next. He's led me right up to the edge here. And in that silence, you drop into your own knowing. You drop into silence inside yourself like the mind doesn't know what to do next. And so this is one of his ways of getting us into meditation was take us through deep discussion and ideas and then literally leave us hanging. Hmm. He would argue 1.1 week, you know, absolutely. This is the only possible way you can discuss this thing and see it, this is the obvious resolution. And then sometime later, he would argue the other side of the same thing and say, you know, whatever I said before was nonsense, you know, this is the perspective. And so we're left kind of, uh, you know, was I more inclined to this way or this way? Or And you say, that's not the point. The point is, what's your way? Yeah, What's true for you? What's your truth? I mean, all this stuff is philosophy or theology or something or other. What's your truth? And that was his whole message from beginning to end. What's your own truth? Get a grip. Get out of everybody else's pockets and ideas and theologies and following the sheep in front of you. Be true to yourself. That was his whole message, and it continues to be his message. So, yeah, I, w- I encourage everybody, you know, you want to find out something really interesting. I know we got Eckhart Tolls and we've got, you know, rum and people like that, and they, they really had beautiful messages as well. mujis um, Papaji's, you know, there's all these enlightened beings. Gangaji, wonderful, sweet woman. But, you know, there was, he really laid out something very, very particular. He would talk about the survival of humanity. He would talk about you know the, the consciousness was so important that it rises, that we get rid of all these ridiculous behaviors, you know, these warlike behaviors, these very male-dominated pursuits in life. Armies, military shooting, bombing, you know, causing chaos, killing people, it's like really So he just, that was his whole message in the end, was, uh, you know, be true to your own life. Existence wants you to succeed. Existence wants you to be a conscious presence and being here. And we can all watch. 30 years ago, the word meditation, huh? What's that? (laughs) Yoga, huh? Really? You do yoga? And nowadays it's like, yeah, of course I do yoga. Of course I meditate every day. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's catching. He mm-hmm. came at a very particular time in the world. You know, he, sh- he started his teaching in the early 70s. He became enlightened at the age of 21 in 1953. And then he started his, his teaching, gathering people around him in the early 70s. And he just kept going at it. And to me, a spiritual master. You know, we have teachers, Ra was a teacher. And we have masters. Teachers just say, you know, here's the deal, this is what you've got to do, da, da 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 da. A master says, you know, you can have this, you can have that, you know, but really neither of them are going to work for you. So the master's kind of taking stuff away all the time. Oh, you've got that idea about yourself, forget it, you know, move on, you know, morph, go into something different, transform. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, being a master is a really, truly thankless task. Of taking away, he used to call it dry cleaning, you know, <laughs> dry cleaning, taking away people's misconceptions about themselves and their life. And he just, you know, slowly, slowly peels all this stuff away, so you can get a really clear view of yourself.
0: That's
2: fascinating. Mm-hmm. So. So you guys are both healers, yeah. I guess on some level.
1: Yeah, we're both medical doctors.
2: Very good. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, I'm sure you actually have kind of looked at design charts and said, oh, there's a little bit of medical stuff in here. You know, I can look at a chart and I can pretty much tell what's going on in somebody on a physical level. Maybe on a mental level, maybe on an emotional level, maybe on an etheric level, maybe on an astral level. And that's one of the things I see with human design. It's not limited to 3D. You know, of course, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in America, you know, the AMA, you've got some issue, you go to the doctor and they give you a pill. It's a fix it,
1: it's not a cure,
2: it's a fix it. Yeah, it's like management. A bad deal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> management, not cure.
2: So the whole question is, you know, why did you catch that thing in the first place? And Ra used to have a joke about this, you know, he said, if you're living true to your design, you will only catch the diseases you're meant to catch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's when you you go outside of your own nature, then you start catching everybody else's stuff. You know, you mess around with the wrong crowd, you go in the wrong places, you overload yourself, you deplete yourself, you don't nourish yourself. And sure enough, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you brought up Ramdas and Ramdas had a stroke and I've looked at Ramdas's human design chart and i I've I can't remember the specifics of what I saw, but it made sense to me that he had a stroke based on his human design chart.
2: Yeah. So this,
1: I, yeah. I see things like that.
2: Yeah. You're accurate. It's yeah, you can see beyond the obvious. I mean, to me, it's just hilarious. You go into a doctor's office and got to, they've got to measure you and weigh you and try your blood pressure and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure it's all good. You know, it's something to write down in a notebook. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but healing, you know, we're not, we're not here to get sick in other people's diseases. And I don't know what the TV's like. I never watch TV, but every time I kind of happen to be somewhere where a TV's playing, you know, there's a little bit of feature and then there's a drug, you know, and the drug yeah, shows yeah. all these happy people. You know, I used to be dead and now I'm alive. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's like the like electronics industry used to be with the with the uh, chips, you know, for computers. They'd make a chip and then find out what it would do. And so in the drug industry, they make a drug and then they find out what it will do. You know, the side effects are in very fine print, but, you know... Mm-hmm it's hilarious but now we've got ai so ai is going to start inventing stuff faster than anyone else imagined so hopefully you know there are certain people in that whole industry that are really responsible and they you know put together drugs that really do assist people and don't charge the earth for it Mm -hmm. but i'm definitely somebody that loves holistic healing or you know what has been called alternative healing but which is so obviously right healing I love the Chinese, the old Chinese principle, that you pay the doctor all the times that you're well, and the moment you get sick, it's his job to fix you, to make you well again, you know, holistic wellness. And then once you're well again, then you can start paying his stipend again. It's a totally other way around system. But to me, it makes perfect sense. You know, if you're going to have a doctor, it's his job to maintain your well-being. Anyway. Yeah, that's missing.
0: The maintaining well-being piece.
1: Yeah, it's it's just not. Po- well, I don't want to say it's not possible, but you're very limited in the way that healthcare is set up here. What you can provide for people, and there's a lot of paperwork and time constraints, and yeah, yeah. But yeah. Nonetheless, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you have the name Evolutionary Human Design. Okay.
2: Yeah, with pleasure. So Ra, this fellow citizen, had this extraordinary experience, this extraordinary download, destroyed the whole thing, and then started putting it back together again. And you know, everybody grows up in a certain environment, and we're exposed to certain characteristics and how we behave, the language we use, the things that we see the insights we get about life. And so he introduced life or introduced human design, through what I would describe as very much a 3D perspective, three dimensional perspective, like what's the matter, the material side of it. And he focused a lot on on what we would call conditioning, he used to call it not self, you know, not being true to yourself. I hate that expression. But Mm -hmm. conditioning, we all get conditioned, it's normal. And he focused a lot of his work on that whole what was wrong with us. Well, you know, we've already got all these things that tell us how rotten we are. You know, born in sin, live in sin, die in sin. Mm-hmm. That word yeah. sin means to forget. That when you go right back to the core where that word came from, it means to forget. Of course we've forgotten. You know, coming down that birth canal, it's like, how do we get out of this thing? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. our memories yeah. and, the, you know, whatever it was, where the spirit came from, the soul family and all that stuff. It's very, you know, it takes a lot of effort to retrieve it. So, yeah, of course we're living in sin, but it's not like we've done anything wrong. We've just forgotten. So we've got that whole thing to deal with. You know, we go to school and we're told we're an idiot, you know, because we don't understand what the teacher knows. So we embrace that old stuff. And then we go to the church and we find out about some guy that lived God knows how many hundreds of years ago and how that person's life has been interpreted over and over and over and over again according to the society you know the churches keep reinventing themselves all the time they're going to be out of luck in a few years time honestly they're not going to be sustainable in the aquarian age Mm -hmm. you know when people start living true to themselves it's like i don't need this stuff anymore i don't need politicians either for that matter i need civil servants who are responsible You know, who get on the back page of the newspaper, not the front. So we're in this massive change in the world at the moment, moving out of old ways into new ways. So Ra was caught in this thing how do I introduce this system to the world and get people to wake up? And, you know, he was starting this whole thing off in the early nineties and people were just beginning to realize, you know, there are alternatives to life. So a lot of people, they had no time for human design whatsoever. They didn't want it. And so he had to kind of embrace it on a low level of consciousness to start with. And he was very hesitant because he didn't know the thing worked. You know, we had to prove that it worked by doing readings and trainings over and over again to, for people to realize, yeah, I apply this in my life, it works. But he had this thing of um, trying to fix what he saw as chaotic lifestyles. And a lot of times he just complain about it's hopeless, you know, people are never going to wake up, you know, they don't get what I'm telling them about human design. And so he started introducing these things like type, authority, profile, you know, type, energy, type, profile, you know, 12 different profiles, how you interact in the world, authority, how you make decisions that are right for you. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're steps to attuning to our own natural frequency. They're kind of clues. They give us a clue, but if you know your authority, you know, how you make decisions according to use. like 50% of people have an emotional authority. They've got to feel clear before they get involved in things. Some people have what we call sacral authority. They get a gut response to know whether something is in tune with them or not. But he had to start with very basic ways of how to introduce this system to people. You know, pay attention to your type, authority, profile and your life theme and these things. And then he went even off into another layer of things he called variables, you know, which was looking at up below the physical level, you know, how the energy is absorbed and how it gets to play out in our lives. And it's all wonderful information, but... In a sense, it is very limiting. Mm-hmm. That you can really get stuck into trying to understand what your type's all about, or your authority's all about. So it became very evident to my wife, Carola and myself that it is an evolutionary process, human design. It's absolutely in its infancy at the moment. You know, all kinds of people are calling themselves experts in human design, and it's that's interesting, because human design is absolutely in its early days. You see, the chart that we draw up is the one that we draw from the moment of somebody's birth, and from the moment of somebody's birth, we get also the ancestral input as well, and it's great, it's wonderful. However, there's another chart we could draw up from the moment of conception, and so, You know, nobody's got there yet. Nobody's got into that understanding of things because this will be fascinating for you guys as doctors, you know, because there's a natural sequence from the moment the sperm hits the egg, you know, and then a couple of days later, we got a division, then another division, then another division. And in human design, there's actually a way in which all these different centers in our body take on form. Like all of a sudden, this center, click, there it is. The thing divided, there's this new center in our being. And if you're looking at the transits, you know, what's going on in the universe, what all the planets are doing, what kind of connections are happening in that chart for that particular split of a new center, you know, you get a completely different readout on this person's life. Like you get it right from the get go, you watch the fetus developing and you look at all the triggering points and is this center active at this particular point in time when it's formed or is it just, you know, it's going to be inert and therefore susceptible to whatever else comes down the road. So by the time you get to the birth, you know, you've got a completely different picture of all the characteristics of the various organs and the glands in the body being formed and either being energized or not. And Ra was always very frustrated that he wasn't able to do charts like this because, you know, he said, once you get that kind of perspective on something, you know, Every out of millions of possible diseases and hazards and problems and genetic implant, all that stuff, you know, there's maybe half a dozen things that's ever going to affect this person. There are five, half a dozen markers in this person's life that they need to pay attention to health wise and job wise and, you know, career wise and family wise and all these different aspects. So, yeah, we're right in our infancy at the moment. And of course, it's going to take a lot of research. It's going to take a lot of patience for people to do that kind of work. But anyway, I'm not saying you guys have to do it, but <laughs> since you are in the medical field, but it's just, it's, there's a whole other picture there. And you could see there's a natural sequence, as you know, when the sperm hits the egg, you know, the first thing is the throat center and then there's the liver center. And then there's the mind center. And then there's the, um, heart center and then there's the spleen center and then there's the root center and then there's the emotion center and then there's the sacral center and then we get the connection and the thing turns on I mean it's a fascinating thing, the whole fetus thing I mean it's a miracle how this thing happens well you guys all know that but, um, you know and then all of a sudden we pop out into the world, I'm here <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of crazy yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, human design is in its infancy. Um, it's an evolutionary process, not just evolutionary in people's understanding, but evolutionary in consciousness. You know, I've got this funny name, Chaitan, Chaitan Parkin. Chaitan was the name that Osho gave me when he initiated me. It. It's one of those 20 odd words for consciousness. And that has been my whole thing. I was absolutely, I remember the day when he gave me that name, I was absolutely fast asleep. I had my eyes open, but I was fast asleep, but (laughs) he had a great uh, potential. He said, yeah, you could probably do something in this lifetime. You probably could wake up a little bit more. And uh, so that's been my whole thing is expanding consciousness in the world. And I think putting out those books into the world, it has had that effect of changing people's lives, being able to train people in human design that also has changed people's lives. I've had a lot of fun with this. I felt really fortunate to have had that guidance. You know, that's the thing about a spiritual master as well. They give you guidance. Every now and again, you get the sense that the scenery just moved. Or, you know, somebody just disappeared off the radar and somebody else just showed up. You know, it's like the master does this kind of stuff. He opens doorways. He wants you to get through. He wants you to succeed, but he's not here to interfere. Yeah, We all have our... Um, possibilities of taking the road everyone else is taking. Yeah.
1: Brilliant.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like talking about like I don't know, the neutrinos or consciousness or like I've I don't know much about any of this stuff.
2: Yeah. I'm curious what um, you've got to say neutrinos, basically, um, there was a theory, don't ask me how they did this, but physicists, at some point decided they want to weigh up the mass of the universe, you know, going back to the, the thing they call the Big Bang. And so they did all these calculations, they looked around the place, you know, what was going to be the outcome of all this, and they came up out in about 80% short. Well, that's kind of a large number. <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're going out, weighing up everything, and you can't find all the missing bits and pieces. And so they Mm -hmm. postulated a theory that these things called neutrinos that had a tiny little bit of mass and anything that's got mass when it bumps into something else there can be an exchange of information. And so they postulated neutrinos were the breath of stars. Every star was putting out its own flavor or its own music in neutrino form in all directions. Mm -hmm. So the whole universe is, you know, all the stars are, pouring out these neutrinos. They're the messengers of the universe. You know, we know that we're all connected here. Yeah. There's only one thing going on. It's the universe. Well, that's it. The stars and the neutrinos make sure everything's tied in together. So, what do they say? It's three billion per square inch per second in every direction of these tiny little neutrino things. And they pass through everything. Near the speed of light. So, when you consider the quantity of these things and where they come from and which directions they're coming from. And, you know, we're in our little solar system here and the neutrinos from one star field bump into Venus, you know, and the next thing they bump into us in that stream. And all of a sudden we take on the frequency of the star that emitted the neutrinos or the star field. And we take on the energy of the Venus placement and the whole energy of Venus itself, you know, which is the energy of things and people and beauty and things we draw to us. And that gets lodged in one of the genetic codons in our makeup, which we from human design perspective, we can then interpret it through one of the gateways or hexagrams in the Ching. So we can actually put language to the genetic codons, we can put language to the star field. And there it gets tricky. You know, because there's that thing, languages, I mean, God knows how many languages there are on this planet and how many different ways there are of saying the same thing. And the more you get decisive about the language you use for something, the more strong of a label it is. And none of us deserve to have any labels on us, but it's part of life here on Earth, we give ourselves labels. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So in our genetic makeup, the neutrinos are the ones that bring the message from the other side of the universe the connection from that particular star field that apparently is relevant for us for our lifetime that particular flavor that frequency it then combines it with the frequency of venus and then combines it in a genetic codon or a frequency within us and then that same neutrino goes out to the other end of the universe and depending on the vibration that we have the level of consciousness that we have that level of consciousness is taken out to the other side of the universe. So everything is connected here. It's all one thing going on here. And um, neutrinos have this little job of being the messengers. They hold us all together. So as I say, 1997 in Canada in a deep well, or it was a mine actually, they put all these sensors in the mine, massive mine shaft. Uh, these sensors that were capable of picking up changes in frequencies, thousands of them. And then they filled the thing up with deuterium, hard, uh, heavy water. And then turned on whatever gauges they were trying to watch things with. And they started seeing there were these, the sensors were picking up these interactions where neutrinos hit them. And the interactions showed that the neutrino had mass and it also had the means of changing or exchanging information. So I think it was Japan and Canada simultaneously had these experiments going on. And there it was, 1997. Oh, neutrinos exist. And, you know, they are the messenger of the universe. They carry the majority of the mass of the universe in all directions. And we're literally living 24-7 in a stream of neutrinos coming every which way. We are completely connected with this universe. So anyone thinks oh do i belong here you know should, should i live my life you know should i commit suicide or anything else forget it get a life be your life you're connected everything's important you have every opportunity in this lifetime to wake up to do something amazing no duplicates in the whole of the universe not even a grain of sand as a duplicate anywhere and let alone a human being or a conscious presence so <laughs> yeah you know, one thing leads to another, the messengers are kind of saying, oh, keep it going, keep it going, you know, raise the consciousness, come get with it, you know, get with the program here. Wakey wakey. If you stand all the way back from this universe and say, What's this universe all about? Why is this universe? What was this big bang thing? You know, was it a sperm hitting an egg or something? Or is something happening on that level? Because you know, universe the everything gets replicated one way or another, somewhere or other. Mm-hmm you know, the the different ways in which things can happen, the universal laws in which things can happen. And to me, (laughs) I mean, we're nowhere near it yet, but there's a child being born here. This universe is a growing potential fetus of who knows what. We're nowhere near the birth. We haven't even arrived at the point in time where the neocortex turns on. You know, but it is put about and this was part of the information that Ra was given that um, Planet Earth is the third eye of this cosmic child we think oh we're just mucking around here doing stuff and it's like no there's real, a real great responsibility here because the, the third eye kind of um, outlines all the qualities of the child you know this is the neocortex turns on 88 degrees of solar arc before the birth and from that moment on the child takes in all the characteristics of how you know the color of the eyes the length of the hair quality the skin quality you know how everything's going to work it all happens in that way so um yeah i mean <laughs> it's a bit like a fairy tale in a way because yeah. We can only kind of stand back and imagine this all taking place, but um, we're in it, we're part of yes. it, and planet Earth at the moment is in a very, very exciting point in time. We've been here before. History books only go back as far as Sumeria or somewhere like that where they have civilizations, but we've been here before. We've been at the same stage of, are we going to go for it, or are we going to smash the whole thing up? Yeah? We've It's gone through that cycle a few times, every 26,000 odd years. So we're now in this threshold into the Aquarian Age where we're going to do it, you're going to make it happen, or are we just going to blow the whole thing up and we're going to have to live on a, another planet and be a rock for a while? <laughs> Consciousness exists on many, many levels, and that's one of the really fun things in human design. You know, not only humans have designs, but animals have designs as well, very different than ours. Plants and trees and insects and birds and fish, and everyone's got their own very particular part of the human design chart. And even rocks have a place in human design. Even rocks contain consciousness. So, yeah, we're in this place now. What are we going to do? And we're right on that threshold. You know, there are still idiots in this world. There are still humans, dinosaurs walking around, wanting to fight with everybody and chew them up and take their land. Yeah, you've got to get over this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just see human design, you know, once you start settling into your own design, you realize this is my gig here. I don't have to go and buy into everybody else's stuff.
0: Yeah, so these readings and like by... I guess aligning with your design that's what I guess like raises your consciousness to go beyond that reactive nature yeah yeah interesting I mean I say I've
2: been doing this a long time now and I like to do my readings on zoom so I can see actually what's going on with that person you know read what's going on with their energy can they get what I'm telling you? or are they kind of glazing over But my whole thing is providing insights. I look at somebody's chart and I offer them an insight. You know, do you know this about yourself? Then if I possibly can, I get them to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. Laughter is an incredible, well, you know, you're both in the medical field. Laughter is an amazing healing thing. And it's one of those things you cannot laugh and think at the same time. So if I can present to somebody, this is part of your deal here, and they're kind of looking at little quizzical it, and then I can say, well, you know, maybe here's a funny side of it. Did you ever see yourself doing this? And they crack up laughing all of a sudden. Whatever blockage or instance of holding them back is gone. They can't go back there again. Yeah. And that's the whole that's, thing, you know, is in a reading, providing insights for people, they can then say, oh, right, good. I'm getting a new sense of where my life really was. Yeah. getting more of a sense of my frequency my attunement in life the art of reading i guess yeah yeah i train people to read and um i hope actually you're going to join us along the way to do that as well all in mm-hmm. due course but mm-hmm. yeah i've read it, it, to many many thousands of people all over the world now and i know it's you know some people get it some people they cannot go back to where they were before. Some people forget it right away. And then I remind them.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cause you've had like readings through, I guess you said palms and human design charts and all kinds of different modalities, I guess. Yes.
2: Um, What's common about all of them? They're all doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, In the early days when I was reading people's hands, I'd sit in a bookshop for half a day a week. And, um, you know, people would come in and they'd book a reading with me and they'd sit down and I'd read for them 10, 20, 30 minutes or whatever. Read their hands, read what I said. And then, you know, Maui is a kind of vacation spot. So I'd be there the next year when they'd come back for another reading or whatever. And I'd say, "Uh, show me your hands. Oh, now I remember who you are. (laughs) (laughs) so you know we all have these imprints there are people that read people's ears there are people that read people's eyes there are people that read the soles of people's feet you know reading auras reading tea leaves there's so many different ways and it's all combined in the same thing it's all looking to see what is it that's intrinsic in this person's nature what is unique to them what can be said that can stir them in their life a lot of times I'm reading for somebody and say, oh, I always knew that about myself. But I then I say, well, did anyone ever encourage you to embrace that about yourself? And they say, oh, no, I was never encouraged to be myself. There was always this thing, you know, how do I gauge myself according to what's going on around me? And so, you know, human design is really precious when you point out to somebody, yes, absolutely, you're right. This is your nature. And you live true to your nature. And at least one person in the world is doing that. So it, it's hugely transformational when it's rendered in the right way. Mm-hmm. I will go back again and say, yeah, there's a lot you can get from reading, you know, reading a book or reading, you know, a report or something like that. There's a lot you can get from watching television or TikToks or whatever. But transformation happens through sound and silence. Everything else is visual. The visual is connected, is collective. We share points of view, we share ideas, we share concepts, we share opinions. But acoustics, purely individual. You can shut your eyes, it's a difficult job shutting your ears. Sound and silence. You know the space between the notes? Yeah. It's when you drop in, you drop into your own reality and you shift out of knowledge to knowing. That's, yeah. that's the whole thing.
1: And that's <laughs> you know, why you know. music and comedy can like change people.
2: Precious. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, to you, what is a human? Um...
2: oh goodness we're not from here we're not from this planet we just come here to have the experience of 3D so somewhere along the way somebody invented this outfit goodness knows how they cobbled it together put it together it is the most extraordinary thing beyond belief Genius, able to heal itself, able to make you run a mile, able to get you to sit back and look at the stars. It's an extraordinary Mm -hmm. outfit. But we're borrowing these things. When I started examining what I would describe as karma, you know, why do we keep coming back here? Why do we keep feeling like we haven't got the whole picture here? Why are we fumbling at this stuff? I started looking at the whole way in which life on planet Earth seemed to come about. You know, they say, what is it, five billion years ago or something or other happened? This Earth is a funny place, because in this Earth you can find all these metals like gold. You look at the periodic table and you work out what kind of energy is required to produce gold. You know, what kind of star is needed, that kind of atomic ex- energy is needed to create gold. There's nothing anywhere near this planet big enough to create gold. You have to go hundreds of light years away to find a star that's big enough. So the Earth is quite unique in that. You know, it's, I don't know, Placed itself here, was engineered to be here, some kind of consciousness, or whatever. Maybe it's all haphazard. But then, okay, we're very happy in 10th dimension. You know, whatever happens in 10th dimension. 15th dimension, maybe even more fun. 5th dimension, okay, you know, we're aiming there, if we can get there. But 3D, hmm, a little bit dense here. Little bit. All oh, these things I keep bumping into. Solid. So we decide. All right. Somebody's got to do it. We've done all these other dimensions. Somebody's got to check out three D. So all right, we'll put this planet together and we'll get an outfit together where people can ex- live and experience three D. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, we come in here and we're going to get, I don't know, we're going to get a life. We're going to have that experience of being consciousness in a physical form. And we can have a five minute life. We can have a 50 year life. We can have a 900 year life, whatever, whatever the prevailing circumstances allow for or whatever our soul agreement is. And we come in here. And we do our little number and then all of a sudden it's time to go and off we go great that was kind of fun a bit thick you know i wouldn't go back there again but maybe (laughs) who knows (laughs) but what happened over time was goodness knows what the energy was around us maybe we went into a different part of the universe or something but all of a sudden we started getting really attached to the matter to the body we started identifying with the body more than with our consciousness, with our spirit nature. And the more you get attached to the body, the more you start bumping into things and developing things that are not resolved, which we might describe as karma. And the more karma you get, you know, it's like, miss a turn, you have to come back again. You missed it last time. You kept building all these complications for yourself without resolving them. You know, you didn't do the spring cleaning or whatever. You've got to come back around again and do it again. So that is what I sense has happened to us, all of us. I mean, you may have had these sensations because you're both very queued up on the medical level, but you may have had this sensation that you already knew this stuff. And not just this stuff, but you knew a whole bunch of other stuff too. And yet, you know, circumstances prevailed in which, you know, maybe there was a flood or an earthquake or a meteor or whatever it was that we had to go back around again and go darker and darker and darker, you know, going into the Roman times. I mean, talk about dark ages, where people are just, you're either a freeman or you're a slave, and that's that. I mean, the idea of being a slave is like, really? And we've all gone through that kind of stuff, or we know what's involved in it. There are still countries that have slavery. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that totally takes away anyone's possibility of being able to expand their world deliberately. I mean, it's possible to live in prison and be totally conscious. People have done that, but it's terribly limiting. So the Roman times probably was the darkest of all of it. And then this fellow Jesus is recorded to have come in at that time. You know, it's funny, you can look at his journey here, and it had nothing to do with starting a religion nothing at all he came to open a portal he opened the portal in Giza for love that had been locked up he opened it and so love is the message love is Jesus' message but then you know all of a sudden the priests get a hold of this stuff and they turn it into whatever they want to turn it into to control people you know money in the poor box whatever Priests always used to be able to get married and then of course you know the Pope says well this is a bit of a problem because if they get married and they have children then all the wealth of the church goes out of the children and to the family and stuff we'll just stop them getting married so all the money goes into the poor box and into the church so we end up with Vaticans and things like that and these massive temples and stuff so the control that the, the religions have put on people it's very synonymous with the control that politicians have put on us and it's all rotten all of it. And so we're in this stage now where it's our job to clean house. You know, and it's happening anyhow for us. All we got to do is keep our foot in the door to stop the world being destroyed. You know, religious wars. I mean, did you ever come across anything quite so stupid as a religious war, especially when you're fighting with your own family? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. So yeah, all this stuff's got to go and we're part of, you know part of making sure that happens by being conscious, by being present by not buying into the crap you know, by not being fan material you know by not being so lost in our own life that we think somebody else is going to do a better job of it than we are. No, there's there's a huge responsibility in having a life here, yeah, especially in this time. We all signed up for this. We cannot afford to remain sleepy. Mm -hmm. So we're basically collections of karma. That's what's Yeah. 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 We're all tied in here. There's this other side of things as well, you know, that it's been put about that life is really serious.
0: Yeah, and you yeah, walk <laughs> down the
2: street, and everybody's gazing at the pavement, like the pavement's going to give them some great message. You know, they've got a long face, I'm so fed up. And life's a celebration. Life's a, an extraordinary opportunity to celebrate. Mm-hmm. That doesn't involve having to be stoned all the time, or drunk all the time, or whatever, or creating chaos all the time. You know, responsible celebration. Everything else is celebrating. It's just we're so stuck in our heads and we've spent so much money going to school and time and we think, oh, we probably should do something with this stuff. And yes, maybe, but as human design says, there are better places to make life decisions than in one's head, because the head's always flip-flopping, one side to the other, could do this, could do that. You know, Whose line of thought am I gonna follow? Somebody else's or this person's? So that thing of knowing That's what we're all aimed at here. And that's what human design is all aimed at, is to come to that place of knowing, to put aside all the knowledge that everybody else's knowledge, all this information and stuff, and to come into our place of knowing. It's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. And fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah, did you Leave have? It there? Yeah, that was. It seems like a good place, great to... place to wrap up. Like, where can people find you, and we can put your information and the descriptions and everything. Yeah,
2: well, thank you. Um, you can Google this rather odd name of mine, Chaitan Parkin, or you can go to our website, uh, evolutionaryhumandesign.com. and do yourself a favor, get a free report. You know, you don't have to pay a penny for it. Get a free report and see, you know, if this guy Chaitan's been saying anything sensible to you. And just check it out. See what the report tells you. And then see, all right, maybe I've caught the bug. Maybe I'm going to look a little bit deeper into this. Maybe there's a few clues for me here. And yes, there are. Your chart contains everything you need for this lifetime. And the moment you get in tune with it, And the the report comes with a copy of your chart. The moment you start tuning into it and getting it, you'll just see there was before and there's after. And all of a sudden you recognize, my goodness, life is taking me in a very, very different direction. And it's a direction that actually relates to me. So, yeah. There are, of course, the books I've written as well. You can find those on Amazon and other places. That first book I wrote, it's in 17 languages now. Bestseller in China, bestseller in Russia, of all places. Because these are people that had trouble with their identities. You know? And human design puts you right on the map in your own life. It's amazing.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That was cool. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you both for the opportunity to talk.
0: Well, that was a wild ride. Thank you for joining us.
1: We'll be back next week. See you then. If you want to further support this podcast, we also have a Patreon. You can find the link for that in the description.